Uh, I'm not preaching two messages in this service, lest you were frightened, but I am preaching two messages today, uh, 9 a.m. and then a second message on 11 a.m., all on the rapture of the church. There's uh, ministers that I text with on Sunday morning, uh, nine, ten, 12 different ones, and uh, we just encourage each other as we prepare our hearts for Sunday services, and, and I, I told them, I'm going old school, I'm preaching on the rapture of the church. And uh, they thought that was pretty funny. Uh, when I got saved in 1976, uh, the late great planet Earth was, was out. And uh, the coming of the Lord, prophecies, uh, the rapture, man, it was so much uh, of what the church was talking about and preaching about. And then uh, it seems like the Holy Spirit started emphasizing other truths. And, uh, but I really felt drawn to the Lord to talk about the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord. And uh, so we want to do that today. It's interesting, in the book of Revelation, there's a special blessing on studying the prophecies of the book of Revelation. And it's all about the coming of the Lord. And the last prayer of the Bible, prayers are important, the last prayer of the Bible is, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And of course, with the world going crazy on us, and America going crazy on us, I just got to thinking about the coming of the Lord. And Pastor Luke preached uh, last Sunday, and I had the privilege of sitting uh, and hearing that message. Uh, and uh, he talked about some different things. And one of them is the COVID vaccine. Some believers believe it is the mark of the beast. Well, I'm going to answer that question at the end of this message today, whether or not it is. 11 a.m. service, if you want to come and hear that message, I'm going to be talking about how to prepare for the coming of the Lord. It is important that we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, it says as follows, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we need to learn of his coming. We don't want to be ignorant concerning those that have passed away, those that are alive and remain. There is a generation that is going to be alive when Jesus comes again. They'll never taste death. I think that's so interesting. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will be, bring with him those who sleep, the believers that have died, that's those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain... We could be that generation, the generation that is alive when Jesus returns to call us home. That is amazing, isn't it? That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Some people say that's the Presbyterians the dead in Christ. But we know it's not the Presbyterians, it's the Catholics. No, I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. Any any Catholics? No, don't even raise your hand on that one. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so may the word of the Lord bring us comfort in our hearts today and strengthen our spirit. Oh, I already mentioned that according to the scriptures, we need to not be ignorant. We need to learn of his coming. The Bible teaches us that we need to live for his coming. 
The Bible tells us that we need to watch or to look for his coming and also to love his appearing, to love his coming. So learn, live, look, love, those four L's right there. That's important, isn't it? In this message this morning, the 9 a.m. message, I'm going to try to answer four questions. Question number one, what is the rapture? Question number two, why is there a rapture? Question number two, three, will children be raptured? And question number four, when is the rapture? When is the rapture? Let's take a look at each question as I mentioned it. The first question is, what is the rapture? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, basically describes what we call the catching away of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the end of that passage of Scripture, where it talks about how we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Corruption will put on incorruption. Weakness will put on power and glory. That also is a passage of Scripture that deals with the rapture of the church. And in John chapter 14, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. For I'm coming to receive you to myself. John chapter 14 is also a a passage that deals with what I call the rapture of the church, which is different than the second coming of Christ to this earth. The rapture of the church is the event in which God catches away all believers from the earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on the earth during the tribulation period. So in that uh, just statement of faith or belief or description of the rapture of the church, it's interesting because this is one that I agree with, all right, that I believe is biblical. The rapture of the church is the event in which God catches away all believers. So having said that, I don't believe in a partial rapture theory where some believers go and some believers don't. But I believe it's the catching away of all true believers from this earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on the earth during the tribulation period. So in that definition of the rapture, not only is it a, 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 an event that's going to catch away all true believers true believers, not professing believers, but true believers, but also that the rapture of the church takes place prior to the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period that the Bible calls the great tribulation. I believe in what, what uh, in eschatology, the study of last things, in a pre-tribulation rapture. We'll talk about that, all right? What is the rapture? It's those who are alive and remain will be caught up Together, First Thessalonians 4, verse 17. It's the catching up, the snatching away. The word rapture is from the Latin translation of the Greek New Testament, what we call the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation. They, they, they took this word caught up, and they, the Latin word for caught up is rapier. And so we transliterate that into rapture. So some would say, well, the rapture, the word rapture is never found in the Bible. Well, that, that's a Latin word, rapier, that we then transliterate into the word rapture. The rapture of the church is the catching away of believers, the snatching away of believers. And it'll be a rapturous event. In other words, a joyful, wonderful event. It's interesting, the Bible teaches us that there will be people that will alive, that will be alive and remain when this event happens. So there's a generation of people that will not die, that will not taste natural death that we know of. And uh, what, a, what an awesome, awesome blessing that would be to be part of that generation. 
And as long as I've been saved, preachers, and I'll, I'll be one of those preachers, they believe that they are part of that generation that will be alive at the coming of the Lord. I know my pastor, Pastor Garfield Judkins, he spoke a lot about the rapture, the coming of Christ, things of that nature, and he firmly believed that he was of the generation that will see the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, he's in his mid to late 80s now, still alive, and the Lord has not yet returned. Uh, and now here I am at my age. I believe that I'm part of that generation. Maybe you do as well. There's a lot of good reasons to believe that we could very well be that generation that is alive and remains when Jesus returns to the clouds to catch us home. What is the rapture? Well, it's the time when we will be changed. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is a truth that must be divinely revealed. This New Testament mystery... It is a mystery because it wasn't spoken of in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about the second coming, God coming to this earth. There's a lot of Old Testament prophecies. But the rapture is the Lord Jesus descending from heaven to the clouds and catching his church up to be with him before, seven years before, the second coming of Christ. It's a mystery because it's revealed in the New Testament, but it wasn't spoken of in the Old Testament. So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So not every believer is going to die. But we shall all be changed. The scripture tells us in the book of Philippians, this vile body will be fashioned unto like his glorious body. Boy, I tell you what, that's great. It's no fun getting older. And all the old people said, Wow, there's a lot of old people in this church. I thought we'd get maybe one or two. Because I'd say, the, I, I'm, I'm in my 60s, I would say 60s is a new 30. So I don't consider myself old. But for all those that said yes and amen, well, so let it be said. So let it be done. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Did you know that uh, in the Greek, that was the shortest time possible? The shortest time possible, isn't it? Just like that, quicker than that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, that last trumpet is not the trumpet found in the book of Revelation. That, father, that, that is the trumpets, the last trumpet. You have the seven seals that brings the seven trumpets, that brings the seven vows. I believe that last trumpet refers back to the feasts of trumpets because they sounded the trumpet 100 times at the feast of trumpet. And then at the very end of that feast of trumpet, there was the last trumpet. In other words, it is not going to happen at the last trumpet found in the book of Revelation that is part of the great tribulation period, but rather this last trumpet is the culmination of and the ending of what I call the age of grace or the church age. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Listen to that. We shall be raised incorruptible, never tasting death again. In the book of Revelations, it tells us when there's that new heaven and new earth, the former things have passed away, all things become new. What are those former things? Everything that is in this world that is touched by sin. 
All that is passed away. No more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more sufferings, no more sad goodbyes, no more growing old, no more death, no more decay. None of that will be in this heaven that we're going to. The former things have passed away. Somebody say yes and amen to that. So the rapture of the church is a time when we shall all be changed. But looking at Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verses 25 to 30, we're going to find that the rapture of the church happens when it is business as usual. Business as usual. So looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 25 to 30, that is why I believe that the rapture of the church is different than the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is at the end of the seals, the trumpets, and the vials. It's at the very end of the great tribulation period. It's at the end of uh, what we call the battle of Armageddon when the heavens will open and the Lord himself riding that white horse will come with the armies of heaven and he's coming to make war and exercise his judgment and destroying the kings. And I mean, the great tribulation period is not a time of business as usual, but listen what it says here in Luke chapter 17, verses 25 to 30. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will also be in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Business as usual. Business as usual, you see. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This, I believe, is the catching away of the church. It's business as usual. People are eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, building, planting. It's not a time of great tribulation. It's not a time when men are hiding in the cave saying, saying just fall upon us rocks and uh, shaking their fists at God and great tribulation of which this world has never seen. It's not that time. It's a time that precedes that time, the rapture of the church. Business as usual. The days of Noah and the days of Lot, believers were saved from the wrath. They were removed before the judgment fell. Noah entered into the ark. The door was shut. Then the floods came. Lot and his wife and three daughters were, or two daughters were taken out of Sodom. And then the fire and brimstone came. We as believers are like the days of Lot and the days of Noah. It's business as usual. We can see the storm clouds as believers. Obviously, we can see that coming. Yet, we are taken out of this world before God's wrath comes upon this earth. Business as usual. It says in verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. So right there we see that God knows those that are his. 
that there will be a separation. Jesus even gave a parable, a separation of the sheep and the goats, a, a distinction between the five wise and the five foolish. And so we find this separation, this distinction. The foundation of God stands sure. The Lord knows them that are his. And if you belong to the Lord, you will be taken, caught up, raptured, snatched away before judgment comes upon this earth. That's why the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. It should comfort our hearts and should give us peace, knowing that God has delivered us from the wrath to come. He has saved us from the coming judgments that are coming upon this earth, that he makes a distinction, that he reaches down, he knows those that belong to him, and at just the right time, he will descend from heaven with a shout and that voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and those that belong to the Lord will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. What is the rapture? Well, I answered that question. Why is there a rapture? Well, to receive us to himself, number one. The Lord loves us so much, he wants us to be with him. In the book of Psalms, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Sometimes we look at death from our perspective because... The person, the loved one passed away. We look at it almost like a defeat or a time of real darkness. But I want you to know it's a homecoming in the eyes of God and the mind of God. And so when the Lord descends and the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive are caught up to be with him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, that is a great thing in the eyes of God. Matter of fact, it is likened unto a bride meeting her bridegroom on her wedding day. I don't know about you, but I was very excited about my wedding day. It wasn't a time of sadness and sorrow and defeat and doom and gloom, but rather it was a time when my bride was going to come and we were going to say our vows and be united uh, in this life until death do us part. It was a culmination of a great love story. And when the church is called it to be with the Lord, the Bible says this is time of a wedding ceremony when the bridegroom and bride meet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a time of celebration and great joy, great joy. So he's going to receive us to himself. John chapter 14, I go and prepare a place for you. How many days did it take God to make this earth? Six. Well, he's gone, and it's been approximately 2,000 years, and he's been preparing a place for us. Boy, I tell you what, it's going to be a wonderful place. I go to prepare a place for you. If God could do all this in six days and how beautiful his creation is, how much more will heaven be, right? I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. That's his promise. And receive you to myself. That's the rapture. He is receiving. Notice, in the second coming of Christ found in the book of Revelation 19, Jesus comes down to this earth. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture of the church, we are caught up to be with him. To receive you to myself. To receive you to myself. Everybody getting that? So he's coming to receive you to myself, that where I am, Jesus says, there you may be also. That's why this is a great, great promise that we're supposed to comfort one another. Jesus is coming back. He's going to catch us to be with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the culmination of the redemption story. I mean, we took communion today, right? Remember his death till he comes. Till he comes. 
It's the culmination of our redemption in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. So why is there a rapture? Number one, to receive us to himself. Number two, to rescue us from the wrath to come. Now this is key to me. The tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. The book of Revelation talks about the tribulation period. It's seven years in length. The first three and a half years, it's called tribulation. The last three and a half years, it's called the great tribulation because it even intensifies the last three and a half years. So the tribulation and the great tribulation, that is the seven-year period. And Revelation chapter 6 describes the tribulation period this way. It says, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So Revelation chapter six is talking about the inhabitants of the earth that are going through the tribulation period and the seals are being opened which leads to the trumpets of God's judgment being sounded, which opens up the great vials of God's eternal wrath upon this earth. The inhabitants of the earth are literally saying, somebody needs to save us, deliver us, because it is a time of the wrath of Almighty God. So the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning to us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God. So Paul's writing the Thessalonians, and he's recalling how when he went there and preached the gospel, and what did they do? They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who, now listen to this, delivers us from the wrath to come. Delivers us from the wrath to come. Now obviously, hell is God's wrath. God's wrath is what makes hell hellish, all right? But it's more than that, because there's coming a time where the Bible says there'll be God's wrath poured out upon this earth in what we call the tribulation period. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus saves us and delivers us so that we might wait for him, for he is coming again, and part of his great promise is that he's going to deliver each one of his children from the wrath to come. Well, it tells us also in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Game, set, match right there. God has not appointed us to wrath. Somebody say amen to that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you might as a Christian face God's discipline. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and disciplines. But there's a whole big difference between God's discipline and God's wrath. God's discipline comes upon his own as a parent disciplines her own children. God's wrath comes upon those who have not believed, who are enemies of God, facing eternal judgment. He's not appointed us to wrath. Amen. Jesus took the wrath of his heavenly father upon him on the cross. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, the Father, hath put him, Jesus his son, to grief. 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Part of the sufferings of Christ was that the Lord would be our substitution, that he would take our sufferings upon himself. That's what we call in theology terms, the vicarious sufferings of Christ. He suffered in our stead. He faced the wrath of God instead of us so that we are no longer appointed to wrath, but we have been appointed to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36 says this, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life. Oh, is that something how we can be weighed down with the cares of this life? There's a lot of COVID cares, political cares, economic cares, family cares, anxieties, right? Cares of this life. And that day, talking about the coming of the Lord, come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be, this is what I want to center in on, Counted worthy to escape, doesn't say to endure, to persevere. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, all these things, he's talking about the coming of the Lord and all the calamities, all the tribulation, all the challenges that are coming. He says, pray that you might be counted worthy to escape it. Well, if he wants me to pray that I'm going to escape it, then I'm going to pray that way. I'm not going to pray that I'm going to endure. Yeah, if you say, well, I I just feel like uh, we need to go through it. Well, you just go right ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm praying that I might be counted worthy to escape. Well, who makes us worthy? Jesus. Jesus makes us worthy. Pray that you may be found in him. Full faith in him, for he will make you worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon this earth. Thank God Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my confidence during this great day. Now, I'm all about living for the Lord, and we'll talk about that in the second message. How shall we prepare for the coming of the Lord? I'm all about living for the Lord and all those things, but I want you to know that my salvation is dependent upon the power of God keeping me and the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me, washing me whiter than snow, and being that robe of righteousness in the presence of the Lord. And my plea in the judgment seat of Christ at the great throne room of God, my plea is not my righteousness, but my plea is the blood. My plea is the blood, the worthiness of Christ, what he did, he obeyed for me. That's whenever you read all the blessings and cursings associated with obedience or disobedience in the Old Testament, what you need to do in your margins say, thank God for Jesus. Why do I say that? Because we're not under the law, and our blessings are in Christ, not in our obedience and keeping all the commands of the law. He's redeemed us, saved us. We have better promises. And so those those cursings on disobedience and blessings on, on obedience, just right in your margin, 
Thank God for Jesus. Because he kept these things and now my faith in him, I'm in Christ. His obedience is now my obedience. And I'm blessed in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. T-G-F-J. Thank God for Jesus. T-G-F-J. If you're me, you're going to have to write all that out because in two years you'll forget what T-G-F-J stands for. 60 is the new 30. So why is there a rapture? To receive us and to rescue us from the wrath to come. Will children be raptured? I'm talking about children. Let's say you're a parent and you have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. You've been busy. You've been busy. Children. I say children will be raptured. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says, let the children come to me and forbid them not. Now, the Bible is not crystal clear on these things, okay? Not crystal clear. But when you look at Jesus, who was the image of God revealed, he is the word of the Lord among us, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So in Jesus, on this earth, you saw the heart of God. And Jesus had a heart for children that was manifested in a very unique way that was different than to adults. To adults, obviously, the command to repent, to believe, to forsake all, to take up their cross, warnings given to adults. But to children, let the children come to be. Don't forbid them. In other words, the parent's privilege since your children might be too young to come to Jesus on their own, is for you to bring children to Jesus. You bring them to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he took them in his arms, and he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. He took, took them in their arms. He laid hands. Now, they weren't expressing faith. They weren't worshiping him. Talking about these little children. They weren't expressing faith. They weren't worshiping. They are brought by their parents. And that's our number one responsibility as parents is to bring them to Jesus and lead them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, church? But Jesus' attitude towards children, a little bit different than towards adult. I mean, to the rich, wrong ruler, go and sell all that you have and come follow me. And he left. And Jesus was sad that he wasn't. But to little children, it's... Takes them in his arm, puts his hand on them, and blesses them. And that's, he will receive them to himself. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, that if you are a believer, your children are holy. Your children are holy. The age of accountability, the Bible does not give us an age of accountability. But in the Jewish culture, age 13 was the time a boy was bar mitzvahed. He is considered an adult and responsible for his decisions. Heaven, I believe, will be full of children. But let me give you a warning on this. The Bible does not give an exact age of accountability. Perhaps each child is unique. Or God wants us to be diligent every day in winning our children. In other words, if, God, if in God's word it says, well, the age of accountability is 13, or the age of accountability is 10, or 8, or 6, whatever age you want to put on it. If the Bible gave us that age, what would we do? The natural response is to relax. Everything's okay. It's all right. They're not accountable yet. And maybe that's why God did not put a specific age in there. 
Or maybe the age of accountability differs from child to child. Maybe with this child, because of their creative makeup and the, the, the blessings that they have and, and things of that nature, they're being raised in a Christian home and, and are familiar with the move of the Holy Spirit and have been given time and time again tremendous opportunities. Maybe their age of accountability, because of the blessings of God in their life and, and all the uh, wonderful things that God has enabled them to be a part of, concerning his church, his word, his spirit, right? Parents that love the Lord. Maybe their age of accountability is six years old or eight years old. And maybe another child, maybe a single parent home and she doesn't know the Lord or he doesn't know the Lord and wasn't raised in church, has hardly ever heard. Maybe the age of that accountability for that particular child, maybe it's a little bit later. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, the rapture of the church is supposed to be a great blessing. And I believe your children are going to go up in the rapture if they have not reached that age of accountability. The Lord will not leave them behind. He will receive them to himself. He will take, him, take them in his arms. He will lay his hands on them. He will bless them because his attitude towards children was different. Was different. But parents, your number one responsibility is to train them up in the way that they should go, to lead your child to Christ by the grace of God, and uh, let's be diligent doing our part. Let's be diligent doing our part. Listen, you can't save your children. Only Jesus can save them. You can't make your children give their heart to Christ. That's something that goes on between God and their heart. But you could be that example, that example. And the Bible says that we need to make sure that we are assembling ourselves together and so much the more that you see the day approaching. And the day approaching is the coming of the Lord. Did you know Christians in America are attending church less as the coming of the Lord draws near? When the Bible says it should be the exact opposite, so much the more you should be assembling as the day approaches. Why is that? Because perilous times are coming. And doctrines of deception, and we're going to talk about the Antichrist in the second service, and deception that comes to people During these last days, we need to safeguard ourselves to make sure we're genuine in our faith and not being led astray. Last Wednesday, I talked about some of the marks of this new deception that's coming into the church, progressive Christianity, and it's coming into the church, and pastors are embracing it, and it was a warning, and uh, just want to be clear about these things. The spirit of Antichrist is not just a spirit of rebellion, it's also a spirit of deception. Will children be raptured? Yes. All children will be raptured before that age of accountability. What is that age of accountability? Not sure. The Jewish culture, it was 13 years of age. That's when they were bar mitzvahed. But the Bible is unclear about this. But it is our responsibility and our privilege as parents to lead them to Christ at the earliest age possible. So take advantage of the time you have with them. And take advantage of God's church that can help and assist you in leading your child to Jesus Christ. When will the rapture occur? I'm going to close with this one. According to Mark 13, verse 32, no one knows the day or the hour. I am not a date setter. Never have been a date setter. Always uncomfortable with those that set dates. 
So I am not setting a date. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24, verse 36, only the Heavenly Father knows the exact time. Some, and I think there's some credibility to this, some relate the rapture of the church to one of the feasts of Israel. In other words, there are seven feasts God gave to the nation of Israel, and Jesus fulfilled these feasts. Passover, Jesus died, the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was when Jesus was buried and in the tomb. The Feast of First Fruits was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He is the first fruits of all who will believe. The Feast of Pentecost, Jesus poured out his spirit 50 days after his resurrection. The next feast, they say, for the Lord to fulfill is the Feast of Trumpets, or what we call Rosh Hashanah. So many Bible scholars believe that the Lord is going to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets through the rapture of the church, or the, remember, the sounding of the trumpet? There are a hundred trumpet sounds during the Feast of Trumpets at the sound of the last trumpet. So the Lord will descend from heaven and take us to be home with him. I looked it up, Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, on this year's calendar is September 7th and 8th, 2021. Could it be? The one problem I have with that is this. The rapture of the church is imminent, and it'll be unexpected. And no one knows the day or the hour. And if I would say he's coming during the time of the Feast of the Trumpets, and they will fulfill that great feast and what that typology means, like he did the other feasts in his death and resurrection. If I was to say that, we would all say, oh, okay, well, then I got time because it won't be till September. <laughs> Am I right? And I'm not going to say that. I'm just giving you that as food for thought, just for you to consider that, all right? Before the great tribulation, I believe, is when the rapture will occur. Because he is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. And there is a wonderful promise given to the Philadelphia church. There's last two churches, last two letters to the two churches in the book of Revelation. You have the church of Philadelphia and the Laodicean church. And the church of Philadelphia and the Laodicean church, many Bible scholars believe those are the churches that will be on this earth when the Lord returns. And the Laodicean church really means people rule. If you read that, I want you to know that that is like a false church, filled with false Christians. But the Philadelphia church, that's a strong church, a faithful church. And listen what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, for the Philadelphia church, that's the overcoming church. I believe Cornerstone is like the Philadelphia church in the book of Revelation. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. So it's not talking about a time of testing to come upon the church of Philadelphia or the region there. It's talking about a time of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe that that is the great tribulation period. The Bible says that to the Philadelphia church, I'm giving you a promise to keep you from it. Not to keep you through it, but from it. That's the little preposition in the Greek that you can also translate the word from out of, to keep you out of it or to keep you from it. Now, my, my son mentioned uh, last Sunday about the COVID vaccine and how some believers actually believe that this could be the mark of the beast. Well, the mark of the beast is given during the tribulation period through the Antichrist. 
we're not in the tribulation period. There is no man of sin, world ruler. It's a mark in your hand or forehead. The COVID vaccine has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. Now, you may or may not want to get that vaccine for all kinds of reasons, but I hope that you're not not getting it. You're not not getting it. That's a double negative. I'm not supposed to say that. I hope that you are not not getting it. (laughs) Not not getting it because of the foolish theology that it's the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast. All right? Just put that to rest. It's not the mark of the beast. You can get that. Another one, I know people in my church, and I got a lot of minister friends that have already gotten it. Well, then they're doomed to hell. Because Revelation said, if you get that mark, you're doomed. But it's, it's in the tribulation. It's done through the Antichrist. It has nothing to do with the times in which we're living right now. This is the age of grace. A time when God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. And so it's not the mark of the beast in Jesus' name. I might not know when the age of accountability is, but I do know this. As a preacher of the word of God, the COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Well, brother so-and-so said on the internet through his YouTube blog podcast that it was. Cast it aside. Throw it away. Delete it. Whatever you want to do, don't trouble yourself with that. Somebody said amen. amen. When will the rapture occur? Before the tribulation. Quite possibly during the feast of the trumpets. When that last trumpet sounds. But I'm not even saying that. Because no one knows the day or the hour. But in my second message. We need to make sure we prepare ourselves. For the coming of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. Can we do that? Bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. If you are blessed by this message. Say Amen. I want to just want to give an appeal for those that are here today that you're not ready. Everybody has a death to die, a God to face, and a judgment to go through. You're not ready. I want you to be ready. In the message to come, we're going to talk about being ready and what that means. Are you ready? Are you truly saved? My friend, I want to pray for you if you're unsure about these things. If you're not really sure. It's so important for us to know that we know that our sins are forgiven, that our names are written down in the book of life, and that if Jesus should call us home to be with him, that we would hear that midnight cry and that we would be ready to go when he calls us home. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you would say, Pastor Tim, would you pray for me? I want to be ready. I want to make sure. I'm not sure if I'm saved, but I want to make sure today that I truly am saved. Will you pray for me? If you want me to pray for you, raise your hand. Raise your hand and I will pray for you. You want to be ready. Just lift your hand high. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. 
All right, let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. God bless you today. Stick around for a double portion. Let's learn how we can prepare ourselves. And one final question, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? My work here is done.